Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. Oh my god, it's coming! I think it's a problem as This is Comics Catch Up. Where we read comics suggested by you the listeners of War Rocket Ajax, that we have missed. Hello, everybody. It's been a while. Let's catch up. This is Comics Catch Up. 
the show where Chris Sims and I, Matt Wilson, we read the comics that we didn't get around to the first time when they were released. Perhaps they were released last year. Perhaps they were released quite a while earlier. And it is still the time of the king, Jack Kirby's birthday. His birthday was back on August 28th. So we are going to be celebrating the birthday of Jack Kirby by reading one of his books that we've never read before, 1981's Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers. Chris, how do you feel about this? For a second, I thought you like it sounded like you were about to go into that part of the Steve Austin ECW promo where he says, <laughs> where he says I don't know if Todd Gorg- Gordon mortgaged his house one time, two times, maybe three times. Like sometimes we catch up with comics from this year, last year, 1981. Uh, I'm I'm excited to talk about this comic with you, Matt. Uh, I actually was reading it yesterday and texting you that I was excited to talk about this. I think it is where I'm starting, like my kind of starting point for this book. It's not. It's part like there's some rough stuff in here, and it's not Kirby's best. And in yeah. a lot of ways, it feels yeah. like Kirby doing a cover band of Kirby. There's also some stuff in here that kind of fucking rules. The one thing you're never going to not have in a Kirby comic is new ideas. Yeah. And even though this is Kirby doing Eternals again, I really thought this was going to be another stab at the fourth world, right? Well, it... it, it becomes that in the second arc. Yes. But the first arc is full on we're doing Eternals again. Captain Victory is an Orion sort of figure, certainly. But there there is a concrete setup where you have your Eternals who are the Galactic Rangers who can't die. Or they can they, die, they but can. they're always they brought die. back to but life. They have, yeah, they have clones, but there's only a finite number of clones, but it's like 50. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess they're not, they're not eternal, but they go on for a long time. Well, and Matt, then sacrifice. you have victory is sacrifice and sacrifice is continuity. I don't know if you know about that. Boy, that is said so many times in this, in the back half of this. Then you have this book's version of the Deviants, the Insectons. Yes. Which, we're celebrating Kirby's birthday. I don't want to say too much bad, so I guess I'll get the bad out of the way right away. The Insectons are Kirby's worst bad guys. They are pretty bad. And for the entire first arc, I kept expecting there to be a twist, which There's is weird. You know, Kirby books are usually pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, but the entire time, I was like, okay, it's gotta be revealed 
at some point in this that the Galactic Rangers are actually the bad, like are actually bad, because there's a whole thing in here about how they, you know, have they've walled off and contained the Insectons' home planet, but the Insectons keep getting out and trying to take other planets, and. I kept, like, there's enough in here along those lines that I was like, oh, it's going to be revealed that the Insectons are, like, oppressed. It's going to be Alan Moore's Wildcats. Um, It is not. No, the Insectons are just bad. Yeah. And and they're very samey, right? There's, There's only a couple of Insecton characters who are, like, individual characters. Well, much like Insect. Yes, mainly the lightning lady, right? The lightning lady, who that's that's not one of his best. No. But all the other insectons are just like they're basically ants, right? They're soldiers, they're drones, they're workers. Yeah. That's the idea. I think they are meant to be I mean they're you know, they're they're I mean you said it, but I think there's they're very bee-ish, but not in the way yeah. that you normally get bees in comics. If that makes any sense, if you've read enough comics, you know what I mean. But like, there's a queen, <laughs> there's drones, there's like one dude who is like the queen's sidekick. Yeah. Regent. Uh, yeah. Um, so yes, the, the first arc, extremely Eternals. I would say the second arc goes full fourth world. And the third arc is mega fourth world. Yeah. I I would. There was an evil planet and a good planet, but the evil planet won. And that evil planet's name is among, I would say the greatest things Kirby has ever written. I would contend that this book gets a lot better as it goes and is finally getting somewhere right as it's ending. Yeah. The, uh, the second arc is way better than the first. Like the earth stuff is Cause at the end of the f- first arc, the, it's the first, it's the first six issues, the then four issues. And then there's a, like a three part origin yeah, uh, and there's various backup stories, and uh, there's a special as well. Uh, and as far as those backup stories go, uh, I have some thoughts on those backup stories. One of which is the Goozlebobber ain't never getting over. You texted me that exact phrase, and I read these issues a while ago, like maybe two and a half weeks ago. And I had to be like, okay, remind me what the Goozlebobber is. That's how not over the Goozlebobber is. Yeah. I, like, I'm going to be honest with you. I tapped out of those backup stories. Because it didn't look like they were really going to tie in with the main story again. Yeah. And and that's a weird thing Kirby does every now and then. Is that he'll make a character and he'll be like, it's like a comedy character. But Kirby's like, look at this jackass that nobody likes. And that is his <laughs> idea of what comedy is, which is that's, weird. That's that's comedy to Jack Kirby, yes. Jack Kirby would have loved I Think You Should Leave. 
<laughs> Gooselbobber's out here like, I don't want anybody to have the worst day at their job. It's 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 wild. Because he does, like, it, that's kind of what he does with Goody Rickles, although that story owns, actually. Um, yeah. And he does it, like, a couple times in, in Jimmy Olsen, and he does it in, uh, he does it in Demon. He does it, he does it a bunch of times, and it's always really weird. And he does it in a lot of the, uh, like, the kind of short-lived stuff, too. Like, uh, like, Dingbat's a Danger Street is, is a lot of that. And... Yeah. It's so weird to see someone who is like arguably the most talented comic book creator who ever lived. And he's just phenomenally bad at this one thing, which is comedy. (laughs) Well, like comedy in comics has always been, exceedingly difficult right like i mean not really it's where the medium gets its name some would say that it is the primary function of comics (laughs) yes 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 but okay go back to the golden age what was comedy in golden age comics funny animals right that is that is what comedy was it was very similar to like comic strips like I guess Baby Huey came later, but my example is always Baby Huey. <laughs> Baby Baby Huey. You know what I mean? Baby Huey. They they pushed Baby Huey to the moon, and he never got over. Baby <laughs> Huey broke a hundred guitars and never drew a dime. You know. Well, that's what I'm saying. But like people, to people of that era, that was funny in comics. Baby Huey. You know what I'm saying? I I mean. I guess, but I guess that's like how, like, in, like, medieval times, salt was really, like, valuable, because they didn't know any other spices. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it would preserve food. It wasn't, you know, it had other uses. Can you and I just say real quick, fuck baby Huey? That's kind of where I'm at, yeah. Yeah. I don't think we're even going to get, like, this isn't even going to be, like, one of those things where it's, like, I just don't, like, Pogo just doesn't do it for me. Like, and, and Benito's going to be, like, you're an idiot who doesn't understand anything. Uh, but, like, fuck baby Huey, man. But here, that's my point, right? Like, the only funny comics, or the only comedic comics from the era where Jack Kirby was getting started in comics... Maybe Popeye? I don't know, man. I don't know. Name another funny comic from the Golden Age. <laughs> I mean, comedy also changes really rapidly, like more than any other that, genre. Yeah. And so, so I don't know. Like, it's it's, but it's like it's not that the comedy that Kirby does is like old fashioned. It's that it's not funny, and it's always like, here's a guy who sucks. (laughs) Yeah, but I think it's because Golden Age comics comedy is a very particular thing that does not survive out of the Golden Age. Mm -hmm. And then in the Silver Age, comedy is sort of baked into quote-unquote serious superhero comics, right? So, like, 
Spider-Man and Ben Grimm are cracking jokes, you know? Mm-hmm. But there weren't really comedic comics in the Silver Age to speak of that were fully comedy. I mean, there was like gold key comics and stuff like that. I mean, there's there's but, Archie. There's Archie. Archie, okay, Archie's a constant. But you know what I mean? Like, outside of like a handful of things, the comedy genre of comics doesn't really get revived again until the 70s. And those are underground comics. You know? And those aren't funny either. I mean, they're. Here's my statement about those. They fucking suck. (laughs) They're their own, like. They were only funny in 1977. <laughs> and if you get outside of that time frame, you're like, what is this? <laughs> you know, like, like Mad Magazine ceased to be a comic. You know what I mean? It became a magazine. So, like, the comics code is all mixed up in it and stuff. But I, I think there's a good explanation as to why. In the Kyle Stark's book, Back in Time to like 1945, do you think it would just make people explode like in scanners? I think the comics code hearings would have been much stricter. I think Frederick Wortham would have been like, I get it now. I get, I get (laughs) these are good. Actually. Actually, these are great. Yeah. I just, Uh, I'm saying there's a good reason. Um, There's a good reason why comedy is the thing that, Kirby is the worst at. He's not great at like his idea of horror is very different from any other concepts of horror. And it's not that he doesn't do like scary stuff, but he does stuff that's like kind of existentially scary, but in a very cartoonish way. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting to think about Kirby's shortcomings. He inspires dread more than fear. I feel like. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Matt. That's very smart. But real real quick, I just want to say, first arc is is Eternals. Second arc is Fourth World. Third arc, full-on, it's the Pact, but with one guy. But it's also, like, in a lot of ways, it's Kirby doing Star Trek? Did you get that from this? Well, I, let's, let's go story by story. Okay. And then we can dig into it. Because... I can quickly get through the special and the first arc because the special is another Kirby doing comedy thing, but it's a little bit different. Okay. Because the special is basically Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers meeting the three Musketeers, which is just like when Ben Grimm became Blackbeard that one time. Mm-hmm. The, I I love that because like that is a comic that's like, oh Ben Grimm went back in time and inspired the legend of Blackbeard, and it's like no, that was a real dude. That was like a fully real man. <laughs> yeah. But there's another version of Kirby comedy that's like, they're gonna meet a historical figure. Yeah, and hijinks will ensue. So that's what the special is, and it is ex- it is totally that thing. I mean, that's kind of Kirby doing Star Trek, but one of those Star Trek episodes where they go back to Earth in the past. Mm-hmm. Well, 
don't forget the uh, the Mark, uh, Martius Clavus uh, backup stories, which is where I was like, oh, okay, I'm not imagining it. This is just fully Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The first arc, the first six issues, I, I, I will admit fully, it was hard for me to get through them. They're not Kirby's best. It's If you are a Kirby fan, it's really interesting to read those in the context of, oh, this is what he was doing, you know, in, in 1981, like basically between Fourth World and Hunger Dogs. Yeah. Uh, but it is, it's rough sometimes. So it's a very straightforward war slash battle story where the insectons come to earth and they try to, I don't know, mesmerize everybody. They build hives on earth and they brainwash all of the people on earth. And so captain victory and the galactic Rangers have to show up and work with the fucking cops. I hated that bit with the cops. Cause there's a part yeah. where one of the cops is like, yeah, we met one of these aliens. He's in the morgue now. Cause he made one of our guys nervous. And I was like, that feels like commentary, but it's not, but it's <laughs> like, not. it's, yeah. It's just that, like, oh, they ran into, like, a dude who looked like Double X, and then they killed him, and that's fine, because he's a bad guy. I do think there is a little bit of social commentary in this, uh, in that, like, you know, as soon as the good guys save Earth, like, Earth is like, well, hang on. We're, like, we still don't trust you. We're gonna, like bomb you if if you if you try and leave uh but for the most part like that first arc is very straightforward and all the straightforward stuff is kind of bad or or like repetitive it sort of is hitting the same note over and over again right where it's just like insecton's bad captain victory and his guy's good they're gonna work with the cops and the earth military to take take down the insectons who were like enslaving people on earth. They're going to create a hive mind. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're also like meeting the characters who all just kind of feel either they're either like straight laced soldier types. Like that's what captain victory is. Like he's got the weight of responsibility on him. And then there's like major Clavis who kind of gets a little bit, fleshed out through the series but like is very much like a you know a straight up soldier guy Terran is basically Worf or like you know a Klingon he's a lion yeah he's a lion at the time Kirby was designing like a you know this is when he was working with uh, Ruby Spears and so he's designing a lot of like pitches for cartoons and like a bunch of cartoon stuff. And these guys feel like they are action figures that someone else will be paid to figure out the story later. Except it's all Kirby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Orca is a fish man. And then mastermind's a little freak. (laughs) Uh, Well, he's, I, 
I don't know what his actual name is, because they call him Mr. Mind as a nickname, and then it's like somebody goes, hey, there's a dude called Mr. Mind. Yeah. And then he's like, right, oh, right. that's right. Well, it's, it's, it's Mr. Mind, not Mastermind. I, I don't know why I read that wrong, but yeah, Mr. Mind. Well, then, then they call him Egghead, and then it's like, yeah, there's also a guy called Egghead, Jack. And then he's like, <laughs> okay, uh, he'll be in Cephalo. But it's like all of this is in like these are conversations that do not happen before the book is on the stands. Yes, and and I guess thankfully DC Comics is not coming after Jack. I mean, maybe they're sending cease and desists to be like, hey, you can't kill this character this. <laughs> it's but, I mean it's it's weird. It's it's very there's so much that's interesting on a like contextual level about this book. Cause the best thing about that first arc is seeing what happens when Kirby is allowed to or allows himself to do a story, like a, a full arc of story. Like it is one single story that takes place over six issues, which is not like not the usual way that he would do things. In fact, like a lot of his single issue stories, even because he was doing, you know, two comics a month at DC in the seventies would be like, you know, 14 pages. So you're getting to see Kirby doing like, in a lot of ways, it's like Kirby unleashed, right? Like it's, it's, I'm going to do this one story and it's going to take however long it takes. And it takes six full issues and that is both like an interesting thing and also kind of a like like okay is this the story you wanted to take six, six issues with yeah it's also, it, i feel like it exposes a weakness of kirby's it, it in does. that it, like i said it ends up being kind of repetitive like every issue needs a battle and all these battles kind of feel the same you know yeah it's it feels like there's a first issue of setup. Like there's some stuff kind of going on in the background. Like I talked about Mr. Mind slash egghead slash encephalo. His whole deal is like the other galactic Rangers. Like they just think he's like the tech guy, right? Like he's just gonna make stuff on the ship work and that kind of stuff. But he wants really badly to be a Ranger. And so he's trying to prove himself to be a Ranger. And, Eventually, he does get that. So that's like a little B-plot that's going on in the background. But it's it's essentially like Rangers versus Insectons, and it eventually gets to the point where Captain Victory has to get in his ultimate weapon that I forget the name of. The Drainer. That, the, yeah, the Drainer, which kills all the Insectons, but also kills him. So then he has to be revived as a clone. And that's how the first arc ends. Yeah. Uh, That's a pretty strong ending, but it took a while to get there. Yes. And it's also like, there's a bunch of weird stuff in it. Like I swear to God in the second, first or second issue, when they land on earth, they're in Colorado. And then there's a bit like two issues later where, Oh, actually, they're in Pennsylvania. Yeah. It's like, it's a lot of not really keeping track of stuff. 
But well, that's an editor's also, job, right? Like, there should be somebody at Pacific Comics making sure all this stuff fits together, and like, clearly, there's not. Yeah, I don't know anything about like the. I, I mean, I know Pacific Comics, and like in terms of the stuff they publish, like obviously Rocketeer. You know, they 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 did that uh, Neil Adams book, the Miss Mystic, that has a, a backup story in one of these Captain Victories, but like. I feel like very clearly, given the time, it's not necessarily like a vanity press, but it is one of those things where like a dude wanted to do comics and was like, fuck it, let's get Jack Kirby. Cause like, you know, this is around the time when uh, printing costs drop and in a couple of years you'll get the black and white boom uh, where it's super cheap to print black and white comics. And so there's, so many shitty black and white books that nobody remembers because uh, they're very bad and I love them all. And also Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Plus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, the Tick. One of the most popular franchises that has ever been created. Yeah, uh, the Tick was one of those, too. Yeah. But this very much seems like, like a guy... Like, it, like, I feel like this guy who's... What's his name? It's, it's like... He's got a weird name no, no offense uh david scroggy is the guy the uh, editor yeah the editor like i feel like he is either like kirby's neighbor or something <laughs> or he's like just a big fan who like contacted jack kirby and was like do you want to do literally anything you want yeah i mean i feel like it's the latter right because at the end of the sixth issue there are some preview pages, but I guess it's even like a short backup story of Steve Ditko doing his thing for Pacific Comics. Right. Uh, which he is did uh, The Missing Man. The Missing Man. And this, is, this story is called The Kill Brothers. The Kill Brothers are just three Doctor Stranges. Yeah, they're three Doctor Stranges, Matt, but I think you're I think you're <laughs> I think you're leaving out the most important thing about the Kill Brothers, which is that they're three one Doctor Stranges on the same head. <laughs> yeah, they're, <laughs> they're three, three, three guys on one body, yeah. yeah. But like they're they're Doctor Strange. Like this is Ditko just like doing the stuff he likes. So I do feel like there's an element of this where it's like Marvel and DC are kind of trying to move on with new creators and go in a new direction, and they don't want these guys from the 60s. And so David Scroggy, who was a big fan, is like, uh, I'll publish your stories. Do whatever you want. I think it's less that Marvel and DC didn't want them, and more that, like, at this point in his career, like D- Ditko was, you know, I mean, Ditko would, would do work for hire for anybody, but like yeah. was, I think still on kind of bad terms with Marvel and Kirby had also just recently left Marvel and, uh, you know, Paul Levitz hadn't brought him back to DC yet. So I think it was less of that and more like, these dudes didn't want to do comics anymore, you know, like Dicko wanted to do his own stuff, but Kirby was working in animation, but obviously, you know, 
Kirby fucking loves comics. So he wants to do them. But he just doesn't want to do them at DC or Marvel. And then along yeah. comes David Scroggy, who, again, I don't know anything. That dude's got to be a money mark, right? That dude's got to be the the Tony Khan of 1981. That's exactly what I I thought. That's exactly the thought I had. It's like, oh, this this dude is like, hey, punk, I'll give you your own show. Oh, you got in a fight backstage? That's okay. Come on back. There won't yeah, I be can't a problem. Believe that, uh, I can't believe that uh, Steve Dicko choked out Mike Royer backstage. <laughs> uh, so then the seventh issue starts the next arc, but it's largely about that thing you were talking about where uh, the, the authorities on Earth don't want the Galactic Rangers to leave. But then they're just like, we're just going to leave anyway. Yeah, because they've got to go they, deal with the Wonder Warriors. Yeah, they just bounce. Well, Quadrant X. Yeah. Um, Urson the Unclean is the villain of this arc. Well, there's, there's he is he, a, he's one of the Wonder Warriors. There's there's four of them. Yeah. Urson the Unclean is the one that we see the most of, but boy, he is not the weirdest. <laughs> well, I just find Urson the Unclean very Oh, he's not the weirdest by a long shot. Yeah, I guess Urson the Unclean is like the first of them to show up, right? Yeah. And what I find fascinating about Urson the Unclean is he's absolutely Jack Kirby doing Ben Grimm as a bad guy. Yeah, like he's actually like funny. Like he says things that I think are funny. In he talks like he talks like the thing. Yeah. Like when he's, he goes, "Yuck! You're rotted faster than most of your fellow unfortunates." Go yeah. on, take off. So, so here's the deal: uh, Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers uh, have been assigned. The reason they need to leave Earth without answering anybody's questions is that they have been assigned to deal with the problems in Quadrant X. And those problems are the Wonder Warriors, who are four characters that uh, would be formidable villains on their own. But together, the the yeah. some of the angles of that sinister rectangle is is too terrible to comprehend. Uh, yeah, I mean, you said this is this is like becoming more fourth world, and I think you're right. Yeah. But I really feel like the concept of this story is what if the Fantastic Four were cosmic villains. It Kind of, yeah. yeah. Um, if the Fantastic yeah. Four were completely bonkers and there was nobody who was like, hey, maybe he shouldn't. Uh, yeah. I kind of yeah. love them. So there's, there's, there's Bloody Marion, uh, whose deal is that she, she's like strong and she can, she has unbreakable claws and she kills people. And that's kind of it. Like not very, not as most imaginative. Don't worry, though. So there's Bloody Marion. There's Ursin the Unclean, whose species secretes. Uh, it's referred to as, like, a, a variety of streptococci. Uh, so it's like, you know, bacteria, basically. But it can rot and destroy anything in, like, minutes. So very, you know, very withering touch. You, you've seen that kind of thing in comics before. It's always, it's a go-to. People love that shit. Yeah. Uh, there's a dude who's just like, like his name's like Finran the Fearless or something, who's just like a fighty guy. And 
then there's the space fetus. If you were around for a certain segment of mid two thousands comics blogging, first of all, I'm sorry. (laughs) Second of all, you maybe heard the phrase Paranex, the fighting fetus. And you, you might've thought, wow, what, weird one-shot character was that? Um, no. No. Villain of an arc. And Buddy? Buddy, it's a weird one. It's, he's a giant he's a giant fetus in a spacesuit, though. Yeah. But also they keep, like, is like an autonomous being. But they keep talking about how he's a fetus and therefore has not yet been born. Yes. And that when he is born, boy, you don't want to be there for that. (laughs) I feel like that's Kirby working through some ideas from his 2001 book that never got into that book. Uh, Almost certainly, yeah. Yeah. Like, it it sure is weird. Like, the weirdest thing about Paranax the Fighting Fetus is not that it exists, but that he kind of doesn't do anything with it. Like, they fight all the other guys. The other guys get, like, a lot of screen time. Yeah. But, like... Well, but I, th- they, I, feel, like, I feel like the idea with Paranex is he's that guy in the fight that if he unleashes, the fight is over. So you have to stop him before he can do anything. And so Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers have to stop him before he can use his power. Or if he if he does use his power, the fight is over. Yeah, um, so I thought this was going to turn into... I watched that uh, Sarah Zed video about the, the Doctor Who anti-abortion episode. Yes, uh, yes. And so I was like, oh no, is this, is this how it's going to go? Because uh, at one point, Captain Victory says, that thing you refer, as you refer to it, is a baby. A monstrous baby in an advanced state of gestation, but a baby nevertheless. But it turns out, like, that's all a ruse, because that's, that's a fucking robot talking. And what Captain Victory does is he explodes those motherfuckers. He blows them yes. up with a bomb. <laughs> yes. Which is kind of the end of every arc of this book, right? Like, Yeah, it's just like... Here we finish building our gigantic bomb. Ba boom! The end. <laughs> the end. <laughs> the final arc, which is the Captain Victory origin story, just makes him into Orion. He well, he's Orion. Yes, like there's even a part where like he starts getting mad about it, and his face is drawn all weird, and everybody's like, he has, "Whoa, Captain he has- Victory, chill the fuck out." He has the space harness. He does. It's redesigned, but it's 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 the there's a two page spread where he's just in the thing, flying it around. Yeah, uh, but he's also like Orion and Mister Miracle as the same character because there's no like swap of the of the two babies like in the Pact. But like he's you know from this warlike planet that I haven't said the name yet because I've been waiting to drop it. He's from this war planet that conquered its good counterpart. So it's like, there's literally a page where he does uh, 
uh, a new version of, you know, there came a time when the old gods died. Here it is. Uh, Think of ultimate war fought with ultimate technologies, a final struggle in which frenzied gods vanished with their leaders in the flames of hate. Hate in triumph, hate in the saddle, hate so strong that it was able to salvage and give half-life to the thoughts and voice of its greatest disciple. Like, that's fully just like... Like, Kirby being like, okay, so I already said there came a time when the old gods died, the brave perish yeah. coming. Okay. What, what's the different way of saying all that? He's, like, the youngest member of, like, the ruling house of this war planet. Uh, who, and he keeps coming up with, like, new ways to do genocide. Yeah, but he's also forced to work by Big Ugly. Yeah. And uh, he ends up killing Big Ugly because... He he just can't take it anymore. Yeah, and then because they're like, he's smart, so they make him like at one point they're like, ah, how are we going to beat these? You know, these guys. We're going to destroy their planet, but it's going to destroy all their stuff. Little Captain Victory is like, oh, just dump toxic waste into their oceans and make their planet uninhabitable for ten thousand years. And they're like, oh, that's great. They'll be lining up to surrender. So it's very much this thing of like. He is being used for his ability to think of horrible, yeah. like horrible things to do, atrocities, basically. Strategic, strategic value or strategic knowledge, yeah, yeah. But he hates it and he feels like terrible about it, and so he tries to escape. So he's he's very much like he's Orion if Orion was also Mister Miracle, right? Um, so instead of instead of a trade, he just leaves. Yeah, he's and, and that's when he meets his the guy who will become his mentor, Captain Argus Flane, who I cannot figure out what this dude's deal or morality is. Well, he's the guy who teaches Captain Victory the whole like what is it? Continuity is victory is sacrifice. Sacrifice is continuity. Continuity is tribulation. That's it. Yeah. Which I like I have been sitting here for two days now being like does that rule or is that nonsense? I think it's both. I think it's both. Yeah. I think it's both. So Captain Flane is on this planet of like peaceful but kind of primitive like un you know, untechnologically advanced people. But they're very fascinated by gadgets. So he keeps laying these booby traps that hurt them, but then they disassemble them and figure out how they work. And so he's basically like in this fortress where he keeps provoking these people into attacking them. And so these people rapidly like evolve war machines. Like they, they yeah. go from like zero technology to like bombers, like, like fighter jets. And yeah, he's I trying to be this culture's Prometheus is what he's doing. Yeah. Like, but like in a way where he is teaching them war, but also yeah. so that they can kill him because he wants to die, but he wants to die in battle. I cannot fucking figure out if this guy is evil because it seems like he's evil. And Captain Victory is like, yo, this is fucked up what you're doing. And the guy's like, nah, it's not. And Captain Victory's like, yeah, I guess not. 
he's he's just got this very specific morality, right? Like it, it, he's trying to live the notion of victory a sacrifice. Yeah, I guess, but like it's unclear yeah. like it's not it is not made clear that there is any reason for him to do this other than that he wants to use these people to commit suicide and so he is teaching them war. Which is a very Star Trek idea, but without the like clarity that you would get from Star Trek. Like, if there was a line in here about how he was like, this planet, you know, this planet isn't directly in the path of Galactus, you know, or whatever, like just some monster that they're going to need to fight off. If they don't learn to fight, they're going to die. But the there is not, there's not that, or there's not that in a way that is clear. It's a it's it's weird. Captain Flane is is a fucking puzzle box, man. Yeah, and he ends up dying. Like he, the people of the planet do end up killing him, and Captain Victory leaves. Yeah, yeah, and, and Captain Victory like because this guy's like, hey, I'm gonna die now. Go to Ranger Central, which is. Fucking wild! One of the honestly, one of the best Kirby designs ever. Ranger Central. Yeah. And uh, so the next issue is basically Captain Victory, like at Ranger Central in the Academy. Yeah. Being trained to out, become the captain. Yeah, you find out all the stuff that he did. It's like it's it's like I mean it's a really interesting issue. Like it's all of these like you know wars and campaigns that he was on. That, you know, he eventually was like, he survived enough missions that he's in charge of the ship, which I think is a interesting, like, almost commentary on that, where it's like, it's, it's that he was, you know, it's nothing inherent about him. It's that every, like, he was the one who survived. Yeah, because he, there's a female version that she's basically Captain Victory. What what's the rule rule number? Uh, <laughs> Somebody's gender swapped. I I don't remember, but I, I was thinking of her as like on the Saints Row character select screen when you when you flip the in the, you flip the gender bar. Yeah, uh, the she, gender slider. It's rule six. Yeah, rule sixty three. She's rule sixty three. Captain Victory. Her name is Alaria, and of course, at the end of this issue, she dies. Because, yeah, Captain Victory is the only one who survives uh, in the end. Like, all of his yeah. gladiator battles and shit. Because Victory is sacrifice. That's right. As soon as his origin is done, the issue is called The End of the Beginning, and then that's it. The series is over. <laughs> yeah, time time to do Silver Star instead, which is better. Uh <laughs> Can we talk briefly, Matt, about how Captain Victory wants to fuck a Cthulhu? Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so in the second arc, uh, and again, this is something that like I think is genuinely like really interesting. Part of the deal with Captain Victory and his ship, the Tiger, part of their deal is that they uh take in uh these like, you know, basically space refugees. Um, particularly they're, they're like, you know, unique species or like unique, uh, uh, unique, like someone who like the rest of their species is unknown or all died or whatever. And so one of the things they have is this 
creature that is from the eighth dimension. So she is is five dimensions removed from Captain Victory. So when oh, she Oh, that's right. When she exists in the third dimension, she is a hideous mass of flesh, like a full fucking Cronenberg end of Akira like yeah. monster. It definitely had me thinking end of Akira. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like just like tendrils of flesh and eyeballs and like weird shit. And uh, first of all, Captain Victory is like, that's a woman. Which I, <laughs> which is wild. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like there's a there's a part where he's like, uh, uh, th- th- where his first and uh, first officer, uh, Martius Clavis, says, "You've got more faith than our medical team. Their verdict is still out." And he says, "Well, they've worked with a pu- with a mad puzzle of tissue, but I know a real woman even when I can only sense her presence." So uh, Captain Victory did say that gender is fake. Uh, just so everybody he knows. He uh, but he did also say that as a woman, and I can tell. <laughs> so you're, you know, however you want to interpret that, I guess. <laughs> but I cannot stress enough that she is a, like, horrifying flesh mass. And then, yes. but she helps them, like, uh, do their hyperspace calculations. Uh, she's like it's very Dune in that regard, right? It like, is. I, th- th- this I, I think this book offers up a lot of proof that Kirby. I mean, there's plenty of proof everywhere that Kirby was a huge science fiction fan, but that Kirby was specifically reading a lot of like science fiction novels and was deep into like Star Trek and stuff like that. Yeah, because I do a lot feel of like there's, this, there's a lot of Dune in this. Yeah, yeah. It it there's a bit of a Kirk Spock relationship between Captain Victory and and Clavis, right? Oh, de- like those four dudes. Um, the, uh, the what's his name? Uh, the lion, Tarin. like Taran, Taran, Yeah, uh, they're very like Kirk Spock. Bone Scotty, like in a very like filtered through Kirby sort of way, like to the point where the first officer is not like you know super logical, but he is from planet Rome. Like, yeah, he's he from, from he is from that is the Roman Empire. There's a backup story all about his origin that reveals, like, yeah, he's just from planet Rome. Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. his people are essentially Vulcan, yeah. um, but a little more, I guess, warlike. But a little more Romulan. A little uh, more Romulan, yeah. But like, I, Chris, I, this is a side t- issue. It only occurred to me, like within the last month, that Kirk's name is Church. And Spock's name is science, is basically science. Interesting. Have you ever thought about that? I have not ever thought about that, but that is what Kirk means. Kirk 
is like a, yeah, like a, I, I don't know if it's the Gaelic word for church, but it's certainly a word that's still used for church in like Scotland. And a spock is a person who makes wheels. Interesting. They're religion and science in their names. And um, and, and a McCoy is real. <laughs> they, the real McCoy. That's right. Real recognize real. <laughs> says Leonard Bones I McCoy. bet that's why McCoy is named McCoy. Because he's, he's the he's he's the realist. He's the he's the one who like is there to bring them both back down to earth. Is there anything fucking funnier than that episode where they go to that planet where like everyone is like you know, you go to the planet and the spores or whatever like make you super happy and so Spock's like I'm not going back, Jim. And he's happy and he's got like a girlfriend. And also McCoy yeah. goes down and and he gets zapped with it. And uh like the southern accent comes out so fucking thick, and he's literally like standing there drinking a mint julep. And the guy's like, Hey, um, Dr. McCoy, uh, can you like maybe like help us out with like some of the farm work or something? And McCoy's like, Boy, I'm a doctor. <sighs> That's my job. Yeah. And and the guy's like, Yeah, but we don't really need a doctor here because the like we're all kept in perfect physical condition by the like the nature of this planet that also makes us super euphoric. And McCoy gets so fucking pissed that a guy asks him to do a job on this paradise planet that he like snaps out of it and he's like, I'm gonna beat your ass. <laughs> <laughs> fucking love McCoy. Anyway, that's, that's that's a dude from Atlanta right there. Yeah, yeah, boy. Uh, uh, fucking uh, old Mrs. Own Leonard Bones McCoy. Uh, but yeah, like there's a so, so there's this weird roiling flesh mass, and Captain Victory wants to fuck it so bad. Like, he's like, she's a woman, and I bet she's fucking beautiful. If we could just, you know, if we could see her in in the dimension that she doesn't have to extrude her flesh through dimensional barriers to get to, I bet she would be so fucking hot. And it's not like, it's not like, I bet the sight of this thing in a higher dimension that we could not comprehend would be like an incredibly life-changing like beauty, it's like she would be hot, and I want to fuck her. <laughs> it's wild, but it is very much I like just, it's that. Uh, I forget it was. I think it might have been David Uzumary who tweeted it uh, back in the day. It might be somebody else. Apologies, uh, but somebody was like, "Yeah, the difference between Lovecraft and Kirby was that Lovecraft was like, oh, there's weird, unknowable uh, space gods out there.'" And Lovecraft is like, that's terrifying. And Kirby's like, that's awesome. And it is very much a, like, a thing of, of Captain Victory is like, I'm a fuck it. Yeah. The, the, there's a conversation between Captain Victory and Clavis where uh, Clavis is basically like, well, you can't see what she looks like because we can't exist in her dimension. And Captain Victory's like, you're just not thinking. You're 
open your mind, Clavis. He says, she loves us, Clavis. The word is go. How many dimensional <laughs> doors in hyperspace? A hundred? A thousand? Doors without limit? So he's like, there's got to be some way we could fuck this thing. <laughs> it's, yeah, he's like galaxy brain take on this. Clavis, <laughs> you're Homer Simpson brain right now. Uh, he says, she may be a horror in her true form. She may look like a horror now. But by the cosmos, she's my kind of woman. And it is the maybe the best thing about it is that Clavis and Tehran and like everybody else in the ship is like, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. All right. And they all think it's weird. Yes. Yes. It's fucking bananas, dude. Uh, and then they actually have a conversation about gender, which is which is great. Uh, okay, before we get to ranking, please tell us about the name of the the war planet. Oh, um, the name of uh of Apocalypse Version Two is Helicost. Helicost, amazing. No subtlety. No subtlety no, at all. Like, less. Kirby's out here like, hey, I think Apocalypse was too subtle. That (laughs) was the problem. (laughs) So this planet is called Helicost. Oh, man. All right, it's time to rank Captain Victory. It is, as we said, not Kirby's best work. The four, or the six issues in the first story arc are probably the worst, which is kind of unfortunate, but I don't think we should rank this as separate stories. Cause it, I think it all goes together. Well, it's it. I, I, I agree with you, but I do think there is like a big, like disparity in quality between that first arc and that second arc. Like the second arc is so much better. But I, it gets I, a lot I also better. Feel like it is of a piece. I, yes, I think it's of a piece, and I think its strengths and weaknesses are there throughout. It's just the weaknesses are more apparent in the first arc, and the strengths are more apparent in the second and third. But the creativity is there through all thirteen issues and the special. Yeah, like- one of the most fun things about it is that there's like uh in number one or number two, there's like designs for all like the soldiers and their weaponry. And like it's not till like number five and six that they actually use that stuff, like the sun gun and the the baby H yeah. bazooka, which again, one of the great reactions in this comic is when uh Captain Victory is like, Yeah, I got a bazooka that shoots H bombs, and the fucking cop is like, What? <laughs> and you're gonna use that in Philadelphia, my dude. Pretty well, uh, but the but then the weaknesses are there throughout too. Where it's like Kirby kind of just playing the hits, you know. Kirby just kind of revisiting concepts that he's had before, just so he can insert a few new ideas into that. Well, it's a thing that we've talked about with Kirby before, where, like, it's the same 
three or four concepts over and over for from 1940 to 1990, you know, like, and it's just like, you know, it's a super soldier, it's space gods, it's a a boy gang. And it's it's, one immortal society fighting against another immortal society in never ending combat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But like, that's not necessarily a bad thing because like, you know, Thor and New Gods and Eternals all have their own merits. Yeah, and uh, I think this has its own merits too. Like this what? brings some new like, stuff into the concepts. Yeah. But it is very much like it, it's so weird how that origin story arc, which is not bad, is just no. the worst version of the pact. Yeah, and the and that first story arc is is like so many other Kirby battle comics stretched out. Yeah. So it gets a little repetitive at times, but there's still good stuff in there. So yeah, there's nothing in there that's as good as like oh, like the the story is certainly not as good as Orion fights for Earth, you know? Right. But there's stuff in there that does kind of rule. So we have Silver Star at number nine fifty eight. Silver Star is better. Yeah, I would agree. Silver Star is Silver Star is actually advertised in this comic, and given that Silver Star was like unfinished, and un- I believe there was an unpublished issue until the image printing. I might be wrong on that, but I'm almost positive that's the case. Uh, like yeah. it's wild that the captain victory was coming out and old, uh, David Scroggy was like, let's do another one. Another one. <laughs> and then I guess Pacific comics just didn't, wasn't around anymore. Suddenly. Yeah. I, I think Pacific, Pacific, let me see when Pacific comics folded. Imagine launching a comic book company and you have a new Jack Kirby book and then you like get a new Neil Adams book in the 80s and then you get fucking Rocketeer. Like, that's incredible. Um, So Pacific Comics started as a mail order retailer. Okay. And I think... Continued as a mail order retailer after it stopped being a publisher because I remember ads for Pacific Comics in comic books. Right, how, like like how um, NEC was a, a store before they they yeah. published the tech. Yeah, it became a publisher in 1981. It was done as a publisher in 1984. <laughs> yep, which is so wild because that's that's kind of like. That's like when Kirby goes back to DC. Yeah. And does like Hunger Dogs and uh, like he's doing all the like designs for Super Friends. Wild. Uh here okay, here's here's some information about the collapse of Pacific Comics. Uh 
Other publishers, including Capital City, Comico, Aardvark, Vanaheim, Educomics, Quality, Eagle, Eclipse, First Vortex, New Media, Fantagraphics, and Mirage, feared that having Pacific, a rival publisher, as their distributor could result in their being cut off from comic shops. This likely played a factor in the multiple alternate distributors who came into being for, to compete with Pacific. So Pacific was also a comic dis- distributor at okay. this time. Until nearly all a quarter of Pacific's comic shop accounts defected to alternate distributors in 1984, skipping out on paying Pacific for upwards of three months' worth of comic books. Yikes! So a lot of their collapse had to do with the collapse of their distribution arm, it sounds like. At the same time, Pacific and parent company Blue Dolphin Enterprises found themselves the target of lawsuits, including some dealing... Yeah, they're Blue Dolphin. Okay. Or they were owned by Blue Dolphin. Um, Including some dealing with foreign rights and royalties for Pacific-published creator-owned titles. In August 1984, with the company $740,000 in debt, the Schnazzes, who were Steve... Oh, it's Shane's. Steve Shanes was like the top executive. Um, the Shaneses informed the staff that they would all be out of work by September. According to Steve Shanes, Pacific's publishing arm was still seeing profit at the time of their closure, but it was outweighed by the losses of the distribution arm. So there you go. Wild. Yeah. So it was distribution. Stuff that killed Pacific. Twas beauty killed the beast. Twas, twas. Um, not as good as Silver Star. How? Okay, I don't know that it goes super, super low Silver Star because I think this is better than Blood Is the Harvest. Ah, uh, yes, you're right. Well, mm, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> like I was like I was about to say like I would probably read Blood is the Harvest again because Blood is the Harvest is a uh, shorter uh, shorter yeah like that those first 6 are hard to get through my man they really are yeah but it's I I feel like it's worth it to get to the last 7 which are uh, Really fun. I think the back half of Captain Victory is actually like solid good stuff. I think it's better than Last of the Independence. Is it better than Bishop's Crossing? No. Well, there you go. That's where I draw my line. Bishop's Crossing, a personal all-time favorite X-Men story. So the new number 961 is Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers from Pacific Comics. I would here, here's what I would say. If you if you're not a Kirby person, don't read this because there are so many better Kirby books doing the same thing. Yeah. Totally. Uh, however, if you are a Kirby fan and you've already read all that other stuff, it's worth reading. If nothing else, then to just kind of see what Kirby was up to during this time period. Yeah. You know? It's like it's it's fascinating. It's still a Jack Kirby book. You know? Yeah. 
I'm I'm increasingly fascinated by Kirby's the way Kirby iterated on ideas, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Like I I feel like his second tries and his third tries like he kind of often nailed it on the first try. But it's still interesting to see the second and third tries and what he adds to it on those tries. Yeah. Because he always does put a twist on it at minimum. Agreed. Yeah. Like I I honestly I prefer the back half of Captain Captain Victory to Eternals. Eternals yeah, is one that I'll also have a hard time getting through. Uh and I would like counting the first six, you know, I would say Eternals holds up a lot better. But there's good stuff in in the back half. Let us know on the Discord on Blue Sky if you think that Victory is sacrifice, sacrifice is continuity, continuity is tribulation is rad or nonsense. Because there's a letter from somebody in this who's like, ever since I read that issue, I've just been repeating victory is sacrifice, sacrifice is continuity to myself, and it's helped me through through some problems in my life. And I'm like, I do not think- I'll bless that guy. I do not think anybody should make that their personal philosophy. That's that's just me. That's just me. Yeah, prob- I would say probably not. I, I feel like it's notable that the first arc of Captain Victory is when it is at its most Eternals-like. Because mm-hmm. the Insectons get dumped after that first arc. Also, Captain Victory the- does try to fuck the Insecton Queen. The Lightning Lady? Yes, Lightning Lady. Which seems um, very Captain Kirkish true uh at, when it becomes less eternals like it gets a lot better that Agreed. is true um okay if you would like to send us something to catch up on i think we're pretty full up through the end of the year on catch up stuff because we still have to finish fate and the the discord has basically begged us to do Wade Somni, Black Widow, and we should. Yeah, I remember putting so, that and really liking it. Yeah, uh, so I think we're pretty full up at least through November for catch-ups. But if you have a suggestion for something for us to catch up on, you can email us at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Tumblr at warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. We're on Blue Sky at warrocketajax.bsky.social. And we have our Discord, which you should join. Um, you have to be invited to be a member of our Discord, but ask us for an invitation, and we'll we'll get you one if you're nice about it. You can support this show, every story, ever specials, every month, the weekly War Rocket Ajax show, and Movie Fighters and Snack Situation by going to Patreon.com/slash War Rocket Ajax and. Uh, kicking in a little bit of cash to help us out uh, in making the show every single month. You can also help us out by leaving us a five-star review on the podcasting app that you use. That would help us out too. So uh, do that if you haven't. If you want to find me and my stuff, 
I'm at mattdwilson.net. It's where you can find links to my comics, my books, my other podcasts, and my social medias. Chris, where can people find you? Yeah, everybody can find me by going to the-isb.com. That is my website. It's got links to all the stuff that I do. Also, go check out warrocketwiki.com. It's got tons of info about the show. And uh, the good hat is on there. You find the good hat on there if you want to see what Kirby's really all about. Yeah. The, the real Jack Kirby celebration is when you go look at the good hat. Honestly, honestly, that's the problem with Captain Victory. No hats. There, there's one hat in the first issue that's a we- the weird command post, the mobile command post hat. That's mm. it. Yeah. Yeah. Even the, the various soldiers don't really wear helmets or hats. Yeah. It's just, just hair. Just hair. And I and I do not care for Captain Victory's commandy hair. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. See you next time, folks. Yeah, everybody. Till then. Good catching up. <laughs>